Hello! From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, and this is Encyclopedia Womanica. Today's storyteller was a groundbreaking English novelist, poet, and translator, who's considered one of the greatest writers of the Victorian era. She's perhaps most revered today for her development of the method of literary psychological analysis that has become a defining characteristic of modern fiction. Let's talk about George Eliot. Mary Ann Evans was born in Nuneaton, England on November 22, 1819 to Robert Evans, the manager of a local estate called Arbury Hall, and his wife, Christiana. Mary Ann was the third of their five children. Mary Ann was an evidently brilliant child and a particularly voracious reader. Because she was viewed by her family as somewhat unattractive and thus unlikely to garner a good marriage proposal, Mary Ann's father invested in her education well beyond what was common for the period. She attended three different boarding schools between the ages of five and 16, where she learned French and Italian and was given significant evangelical religious instruction, which had a lasting impact on her perception of the world around her. When Mary Ann was 16 years old, her mother died and Mary Ann was encouraged to return home from boarding school to take care of her father and the household. While her formal education thus came to a close, Mary Ann had access to Arbury Hall's excellent library and took private lessons in Latin and German with a local tutor. Then in 1841, Mary Ann moved with her father to Coventry. There she became friends with Charles Bray, a wealthy ribbon manufacturer and philanthropist, and his wife, Cara. They were known as free thinkers who supported radical causes of the period and ran a sort of salon for like-minded friends. It was there that Marianne was first introduced to the debate over the relationship between science and religion. This caused Marianne to break with the religious orthodoxy of her early life. She started refusing to go to church with her father, creating a massive rift in their relationship. In 1843, Marianne took over the translation of a famous D.F. Strauss work. It was published in English in 1846 as The Life of Jesus Critically Examined. It was Marianne's first major piece of translation, and it had a profound impact on English rationalism. In 1849, Marianne's father died. Marianne was left with a yearly allowance of 100 pounds and many questions about what to do with her future. Those questions were answered when John Chapman, the publisher of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined, got Marianne a job reviewing R.W. McKay's The Progress of the Intellect for the Westminster Review, a quarterly publication based in London. Chapman bought the Westminster Review a few months later and convinced Marianne, who started going by the shortened Marian, to move to London and take over as the Review's sub-editor. During her tenure, which lasted until 1854, Marianne successfully revitalized the publication. When she wasn't working, Marianne spent her time at the Chapman's house, where they regularly hosted parties for London's literary elite. There she met luminaries like Herbert Spencer, who became a dear friend and introduced Marion to both of the men with whom she would have long-term relationships. The first of those two men, George Henry Lewes, was a journalist who co-founded a radical weekly called The Leader. 
Though he was married, George Luz and his wife separated after she gave birth to two children fathered by his business partner. Soon after, Luz met Marion. Their relationship blossomed over a shared love of intellectual pursuits and trips to the theater and opera. While still technically married to his first wife, Luz and Marion lived openly together as husband and wife, first in London and then in Germany, where the couple moved in 1854. The situation was not without some major challenges. Marion once said of the relationship, women who are content with light and easily broken ties do not act as I have done. They obtain what they desire and are still invited to dinner. While living in Germany, Marion translated Spinoza's seminal work called Ethics, while continuing to write some of her very best essays for the Westminster Review. Marion and Lou's life was a happy one for the most part, but was marred somewhat for Marion by the amount of gossip she had to put up with. She was also estranged from her very religious and conservative family, who wholly disproved of her out-of-wedlock relationship. Luz encouraged Marion to write a story about her childhood as a means of catharsis. That story, The Sad Fortunes of the Reverend Amos Barton, was published in Blackwood's magazine in 1857. It was an instant hit. Two more serialized stories quickly followed, and in 1858, all three were republished as Scenes of Clerical Life, written under the pseudonym by which Marion would soon come to be known, George Eliot. A year later, George, as we will now call her, published her first novel, Adam Bede. She described it as a country story full of the breath of cows and the scent of hay. A novel of deep pathos and humor, it was a rich portrait of everyday English country life. It was unlike anything her audience had read before. In just one year, Adam Bede went through eight printings. In 1860, George published the novel The Mill on the Floss, In it, George again transports readers to the English countryside, where her writing provides an extraordinary portrait of the experiences of childhood and coming of age. It's been lauded for the groundbreaking way in which George incorporated subtle components of psychology and psychological analysis into the story. The following year, George wrote another of her great works, the much shorter Silas Marner, which continues to be a favorite of high school English teachers to this day. Though not perhaps her most endearing novel, Silas Marner has earned great praise for its perfection of form. George continued to publish throughout the 1860s. Then in 1871, she published what most critics agree is her magnum opus, Middlemarch. A provincial novel set in the English Midlands, Middlemarch is an extraordinary examination of the realities and complexities of life for the different classes in Victorian English society. Emily Dickinson once wrote of Middlemarch, What do I think of Middlemarch? What do I think of glory, except that in a few instances, this mortal has already put on immortality? Virginia Woolf famously called it, one of the few English novels written for grown-up people. George published her final novel, Daniel Deronda, in 1878. Many modern critics view it as the most contemporary of her works particularly because of its brilliant psychological analyses. Two years later, Luz, George's life and business partner of almost 25 years, died. Suddenly, George found herself alone and without either the encouragement Luz provided or the stability. But it wasn't long before she found another companion in a Scottish banker named John Walter Cross. 
Cross had been in charge of Georgia's investments for a number of years. Just a week after the death of Luz, Cross's mother had died, and George and Cross bonded over their grief. Two years later, George and Cross married in London. She was 61 and he was 40. After honeymooning in Italy, they moved into a new house in London together. Soon after, George fell ill. On December 22, 1880, George Eliot passed away. She was 61 years old. She was buried in London's Highgate Cemetery in the area reserved for political and religious dissenters and agnostics, next to George Lewes. All month, we're talking about storytellers. For more on why we're doing what we're doing, check out our newsletter, Womanica Weekly. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Encyclopedia Womanica. Special thanks to Liz Kaplan, my favorite sister and co-creator. Talk to you tomorrow.